Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm awfully glad to be having this hour. And thanks to my guests in hour one, O.S. Hawkins was uh, terrific, as was Wayne Peterson. What a great hour. This hour will be great as well. David Wheaton's going to be joining me in just a minute. And Dr. Don Byerly will be uh, coming on the program as well. So that's what's ahead. I love this verse. I mentioned it in the first hour. I'm going to mention it again. It's out of Psalm chapter 42, verse 8. It says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night... His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What a great verse. I'm going to memorize that one. But in the meantime, uh, while I get busy memorizing that verse in 60 seconds, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, David Wheaton will be joining me. We've recently expanded Faith Radio's reach by now broadcasting in FM in all our markets. More and more people are growing in their faith by hearing our programming in a clear, strong FM signal. Thanks for your ongoing financial and prayer support that makes this expansion possible. Visit MyFaithRadio.com to see the FM frequencies for each city in our network. Then set your station preset button to Faith Radio and enjoy in FM. Highlighting real hope every day. Faith Radio. It's a staple for me. I enjoy your program. Insight that you give uh, is very encouraging, and it just walks alongside my my faith journey. It rounds everything out and is just so meaningful and applicable to daily living. It's the intersection of faith and life. Faith Radio. Welcome back. It is six minutes after the hour. David Wheaton is the host of the Christian Worldview, and he's got a speaker series coming event coming up in September on the 15th. For those of you who live in the Twin Cities area, this is going to be at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, and uh, the topic is going to be the impact of social justice on the church and gospel. And it's going to be uh, a featured speaker is Daryl B. Harrison, who's been on the show a number of times. He's a former fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute at Princeton. Pretty cool place. Just so you know, no cost, no registration. Just come on down. Again, that's September 15th at 7 p.m. I pretty much promise that's going to be a great night. Daryl Harrison is really smart. And every time I have him on, I think, when can I have him back on? But I say that about a lot of guests, including my one that's on our line right now, David Wheaton. Hello, David. Hey, good afternoon, Bill. I'm excited for your event with Daryl Harrison. Yeah, we're very much looking forward to that. We've, we've had Daryl on our program a couple of times. And I just think he's one of the best uh, people I've heard explain uh, this really most relevant and current issue of social justice. You know, it appeared in the early 1900s uh, in the church and really did a huge damaging effect 
to the mainline Protestant denominations as they got all focused on social causes and helping the poor and all those good things Yeah. Uh, to the exclusion of losing or forgetting about or pushing the gospel to the side. And that's often what happens. So, you know, there are social justice causes that Christians should be for. Uh, but whatever those causes are, it should never replace the the greatest cause we should be for, which is the Great Commission, which is uh, proclaiming uh, a clear articulation of the gospel, uh, that we can be made right with God through what God did by sending his son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life and die for our sin on the cross. Yeah. And Daryl is uh, biblical and bold, just like uh, you are. So um, you guys are a lot alike. Well, I take that as a compliment. But, to God uh, be the glory. To God be the glory. We're having him come because he explains the whole issue of social justice, I think, almost better than anyone. And, of course, he's black, and so th- that doesn't give him more intersectionality points, as we're going to be talking about today in our interview. But I think it does give a unique perspective. Because oftentimes, uh, people who aren't black will be saying, well, you, you can't understand. You're not black. You right. haven't grown up in that environment. Well, he has. Uh, He was one of the, I think, the first elder elected to his church that he attended in in Atlanta, the first black elder ever in the history of the church in Atlanta. Right. So he has navigated these pathways for years and years and years. So he understands uh, both sides of these issues. And that's why we're so much looking forward to having him come. Uh, He said something on my show, which, of course, he said, I've lost a lot of friends over this, but he said there's no such thing as racism. And he gave a complete, solid biblical explanation of it. Yeah, of course. That's I love that about him because he goes back to the Bible. There is no such thing as racism. There's just one race. God created one race, the human race. And so when you get away from that definition, all of a sudden you're operating on faulty assumptions in all the arguments you're making in life. Uh, because, yeah, there are different ethnic groups, there are different ethnicities, but we're all one race. We're all the human race. So that, that gives you the foundation that you shouldn't look at anyone else uh, because of their skin color or where, anything else about them as being less than you. We're all of equal value in God's eyes. So how much does that change the way you see other people? Instead of seeing everyone divided in all these different racial groups and the this you know, racism behind every corner, and we don't like people because they're a certain sin color. You can see how that leads down all the wrong roads and gets people super divided in this country. Yeah, some people have more um, melanin than others, than, and That's they have right. a darker skin, but there's one race. That's right, the human race. The human race. So That's right. when we get into language and terms, David, I think that's what I want to talk to you about today. That's when we start really dividing Americans and Christians, don't we? Yeah, and it's it's ironic, or maybe it's purposeful, because the, the terms that get used today, uh, terms like privilege, you have white privilege, or you're of heterosexual privilege, or a term like intersectionality, which is another term for identity politics, these terms are all meant to divide people. They, they actually they have the, the result of dividing people into all these little tribal groups, all these little identity groups. And the people who use them will say, hey, we're trying to have a unified country. But in reality, what these things do is divide the country by, say, the, maybe the intention behind it is, yeah, that's purposeful to create such division so that a new system has to, be, has to replace the current system that we've had in this country for a very long time. But 
you mentioned the, the, the power of language and of terms. I mean, th- this is a, a battle that has been taking place since the, the beginning of time, that the power of language, whether we speak truth or whether we speak lies, couched as truths, that has a powerful influence on people the way they think or their worldview. I mean, go back to the very beginning. Look at Satan tempting Eve in the garden. You know, what did he, what did he do? He told a lie couched as truth to Eve. You know, oh, you surely shall not die when you eat of this fruit. You'll be like God and understand good and evil and all that. It was, it was a lie. He was using the power of language and misrepresenting God and what God said. And Eve, unfortunately, and then Adam bought the lie, and then it affected all of us forever. So now just fast forward to today how language uh, and terms are still used uh, to, to divert people from the truth. Take something like uh, abortion. Uh, what is abortion? It is the murder of a baby in a mother's womb. Murder is the intentional taking of another life. That's what ab- abortion is. Now, it's been changed. The term's been changed to what? Abortion. And then that term's been changed to pro-choice, a softer term. And then that term has been now changed to a woman's right to health care. And then it's seen as a moral good. You see how the use of language there changes the whole conversation and the perception of what is really the murder of a human being in a, in a mother's womb. And then, therefore, those on the other side of the issue, they're seen as anti-choice, anti-woman, and misogynist. So the power of language, it cannot be understated in any means at all. Yeah, you're taking away a, a woman's right to health care. Right. They start using... And, and who could possibly be for that? Right. But the battle for language is absolutely critical if you're going to you know, be winning public opinion. Yeah, that, that's why political correctness is, is so dangerous for Christians specifically, because we need to be, we need to say as much as the Bible says in the tone the Bible says, no more than the Bible says, no more extreme, but no less extreme. In other words, we need to be, we need to be speaking like the Bible speaks, because that is the Word of God. That's the best way to offset the way language is manipulated today for political ends. Mm-hmm. Now, David, there's a bunch of terms, and I, I would love for you to give an overview of some of these terms. And we touched on privilege briefly. That's a big word that can be uh, used um, in a pretty divisive way. Well, haven't you noticed how that term has sort of appeared out of nowhere the last yes. few years? Yes. All of a sudden, people are termed, uh, described in terms of, well, you, you, you're privileged, or certain groups are privileged and some groups are not privileged. And, and basically, the term privilege, whether it's attached to being white or being heterosexual or being married or, or whatever it is, it's basically saying that those born into or, or currently are in positions of power and influence are really the, the reasons, the catalysts, that our society is unjust. They, they make the point that society is unjust, even though I, I would make the, the argument that our society is the freest and fairest society probably in the history of mankind, but we can leave that for another day. But they'll say it's, it's these privileged people who are, who are contributing to the problems that we have in society. So the privileged, like I mentioned, they could be wealthy people, they could be people in the majority positions of influence. So whites in America, males, Christians, that's the majority religion in America, capitalists, uh, heterosexuals versus homosexuals, people who have been born and raised and live in America versus immigrants, those who have more education, 
those people are termed to be privileged. And then they, they up to this other side, say they oppress the opposite, whether it's poor or minority ethnicities or religions, uh, women, non-Christians, the LGBTQ com- community, immigrants. So the privileged are the problem. The privileged are the oppressors. But when you use that term, what you're doing is you're using that term to shame someone, to divide them, to exclude them from the conversation. In other words, you can't be part of the solution or even take part in the conversation because you are the problem, because you're privileged. Of course, their, their definitions of, of privilege really don't hold up. And here I am, a white male, but I'm not nearly as privileged as someone like LeBron James or Oprah Winfrey, who are a black male or a black female. They have far more privilege and power than I do. But this term privilege is being so overused today that it's being used intentionally to shame and exclude people from the conversation. LeBron James cannot hit a backspin overhead the way you can, David. I'm sorry. Well, I guess you I guess privileged. I have more privilege than him than that. But you uh, are... when it comes to almost everything else, he <laughs> has a much greater position of privilege than I do. Yeah, but it, uh, they're they're using that as that you've got this unfair advantage and sh- and and shame on you, and and you are excluded from the conversation because of that word privilege. And by the way, then it bleeds into the church, and that you're a white and you're a Christian, and you need to give up. You need to, whatever that means, I don't know how you do that, you know, go to the back of the room. Right. You need to give up some of that, that privilege in order to raise up those other groups that you are oppressing by virtue of the fact that you're privileged. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very, very sinister, uh, divisive outlook, and it's certainly not biblical. All right, uh, David, let me take a little break. When I come back, um, lots more with David Wheaton. Welcome back to the show. David Wheaton is my guest, host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.com. You can learn more about David and his uh, writings and speaking and podcasts all there, uh, right on the website. We're talking today about the language and terms that are dividing Americans and Christians. And really, it's a battle for language. And it's very uh, important that Christians stay engaged in this process because language is critical to winning, winning public opinion. And David, as we're just chatting about some of these terms that are having a dividing effect on Americans and Christians, um, let's talk a little bit about identity politics. Yeah, yeah, it's another one. So we talked about privilege. That term is being, you know, bandied around a lot today for political ends. The other one is identity politics. Another another term for this you'll you'll probably have heard is called intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And I- intersectionality is when these oppressed groups discovered that they could have more political power, even though they had nothing to really do with each other. For instance, like homosexuals and Muslims, those are perceived to be oppressed groups in America. Now, you think Muslims, what do they have to do with homosexuals? They have nothing in common. You know, typically, you know, Muslims would be throwing them off buildings over in the Middle East. But somehow in America, they have common cause together in this, what it is, the Marxist worldview against their oppressor. So they discovered that if there's an intersection, intersectionality of common cause, that they can achieve greater political ends. So, so therefore, you have uh, the intersection of homosexuals or, or uh, you know, minority skin colors or 
minority religions or, or immigrants or whatever, when they can band together, they can create this intersection of power, even though, even though their particular identity or cause may not be related, just the sum total of them helps in achieving throwing off the oppressor. So if you're a, if you're a woman, if you're a minority skin color woman, if you're a lesbian woman, and you know you have other of these intersectionality oppressed points attached to you, then you have the greatest voice over up against anyone who's in one of these privileged roles, like a white Christian male. And so th this is used, again, very commonly uh, to achieve the same ends as the, the, the conversation, the language of, of privilege. It's to hack down those who are perceived to be the oppressors in society. So, David, how should Christians be participating? And, uh, you know, do, do we want to be leveling the playing field? What role do we want to be taking on in this in this debate? Well, we want to look at the example of Jesus and his apostles and see exactly what they did uh, with the injustices of their day and how they dealt with them. That's, that, that's our goal, right? To become like Christ, to be a better mm -hmm. follower of him. Uh, you know, a lot of these things sound good, by the way, but I think it's important for Christians. I mean, who's against a level playing field? Who doesn't want, uh, you know, more equality? And so those are all, those are all good things. It's just, how do you get there and who are you being partial toward who are you being unjust to, actually, to get there? I mean, the Bible is very clear about—it says in the Old Testament even, don't be partial toward the poor over the rich. In other words, you're not to, you're not to, not to exclude the, a rich person in justice uh, or just because the, the, their opponent is poor. No, you need to seek what is right and truthful. It doesn't matter whether the person's poor or rich. And so I think Christians need to take that exact same mentality— we should do no one any wrong to anyone based on anything about their identity, uh, you know, based on the fact that they're poor or rich or male or female. Uh, we should achieve what Christ talked about, that we're all one in Christ. That, that's really the goal, to, to share the gospel of people, then treat people equally according to their number one primary, primary uh, identity, which is our identity and being followers of Christ. So, I just think that's why it's important to understand the language, because these things can—all all lies, there's always a bit of truths and lies, and they often sound good. Otherwise, no one would believe them, right? right? Of course. I mean, it sounded good to Eve, right? So if it didn't sound good, you know, no one would swallow the lie and take the bait. And so we just need to be informed about these terms, terms like privilege and intersectionality and critical race theory is another one, where— the whole, the all of life is seen through the prism of your skin color. We we won't even call it race because we know there's just one race, but that's really what it is. That like you can't understand a certain demographic because you're not their same skin color. I mean, that's just ridiculous according to Scripture. We're all created in the image of God. Yes, there are ethnic differences between us, but the point is we need to look at each other as being created in God's image. And so these terms, privilege, intersectionality, critical race theory, they get very popular in mainstream secular thought. They're, they come from a Marxist worldview. But then the problem, Bill, is they start to bleed into, uh, you know, evangelical churches. They, you know, that we always kind of take a lighter version of what the culture is selling. And then they start to become part of the Christian conversation. And that's where people's worldview gets very, very off 
the beaten path of a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. So when I think about words, David, and I think about the power of lies, and if I were going to be giving out a lie, you'd want only, you know, the statement to be 3% off, and it's still a lie. I mean, there's always so much truth associated with lying. If you're telling if, mean, you're if you're telling the truth, it's a hundred percent true. But if you are if if you're Satan and you want to corrupt something, just make it off by three or four percent, and it's going to sound good. That, that's exactly right, and that's that's what that's what the world does. Over that's really the the story of mankind. It's it's not a it's not the war on terror. It's the war on error, and you know that that's what the world is about. It's about truth versus lies. Satan is constantly injecting the lie. You know, believe the lie. Believe the lie that you know you know you don't need to wait. Uh, you don't need to have sex within marriage. Just have it outside of marriage. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. You know, you can have pleasure and fulfillment. It's all lies. And when we swallow those lies. We, we suffer the consequences, and, and God is, is not glorified. So understanding the fact that you know, all that glitters around us, all that is presented on television, on the Internet, you need to be super discerning and every, always comparing things to what Scripture says, because Scripture is the foundation for truth. That's the only way we can know what is right and what wrong. We can't even go on kind of our gut or our feelings or how we were raised. We have to go right back to the source of truth. Christ said to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so that's our foundation for knowing what's right and wrong in society. And when these terms come up and this language is being used to to try to achieve ungodly, wicked ends like privilege and intersectionality and critical race theory and liberation theology, we need to compare these terms and what they're selling against what the Bible, the truth, actually says. Mm -hmm. What's a good understanding of liberation theology? Yeah, liberation theology is basically just taking Scripture and using it to achieve uh, Marxist ends. It's the same oppressor versus the oppressed worldview, okay, that they have, but they use religious language to achieve those ends. So the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of Christ's coming, the purpose of the Christian life is not about, first and foremost, the Great Commission reconciliation with individual souls to God— it's really about overturning structural injustices in society. So that's the purpose of Christian religion. That's the purpose of your faith is to work as a community to achieve, uh, to overcome systemic injustices that they see in society. It's just relig- using religion to achieve a leftist political end. Mm-hmm. And David, just a minute left. Do you think there is more or less unity among believers well, on I think these topics? I, yeah, I think that's why we're talking about this today, is that these terms are seductive and they're deceptive, and a lot of times they sound good. I mean, again, who doesn't want more justice in society? Who doesn't want people more to get along more? And these terms are, are couched in terms of anti-racism, anti-fascism, and all that. And so you think, well, this has got to be good, right? But the problem is they, they don't deliver, they don't, they don't promise what they are selling. Yeah. And when you buy into these, it creates more division. David, thank you so much for doing the show. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his guests and his writings and, and his speaking. David, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, I'll talk to you next week. David Wheaton's been my guest. We'll take a short break and be back with Dr. Don Byerly.
Welcome back to the show. I've admired Dr. Don Byerly for over 20 years, so the fact that I get a chance to have him on my show is always really a nice perk for me. Um, he's a, a speaker, uh, he's a president, he's an evangelist, he's a Bible teacher. He's written a phenomenal book called Surprised by Faith. And if you've ever wanted to do a, a deep dive on your faith analysis, this is a book you're going to want to get your hands on. Um, and uh, he's been with uh, Faith Search for, I think he started it. I'll have to find out for sure. But uh, he's joining me on the program today. Don, welcome. Nice to nice to have you with me. Uh, thanks, uh, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, now Faith Search, uh, that was your, your baby right from the beginning? Yeah, way back in 1979. So we're in our 41st year and all always uh, officed in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. Yeah. And you're living in the Sioux Falls area now, aren't you? Yes, we do. The last few years we've uh, moved here. Our family was here. Of course, then after we got here for three years, then they moved away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a message there or not. Uh, but, no, that's uh, that's correct. And so it's a bit of a long commute, but I do get up there from time to time to work with the staff at the office there in Edina. Yeah. So I would love to chat today about First uh, Peter 3.15 and really yeah. how Christians can be prepared to be more effective witnesses for the good news. I think that's it's the heartbeat of many, many, many of the listeners here. Yes, you know, uh, Bill, I, I think uh, evangelism is, of course, uh, uh, witnessing is is not uh, really in these days. Even among Christians, there's only probably 20-25% of those who consider themselves regular churchgoers, regular Christians, that feel they even have a responsibility to be sharing their faith with unbelievers. Let me just uh, read First Peter 3.15 just to get us started. But in your hearts, re- revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. That's what I call a three. We, we need to be making a three fifteen response. That's what right. I, I'm. It's a kind of a new campaign I'm, I'm pushing, uh, based on that very passage in First Peter three fifteen. So, tell me more about that because I don't know about that yet. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm always uh, interested I, in everything you do. You know, I broke it down in, to, to try to help people to be, uh, oh, I don't know, actually plan and, and develop their own lives to be more effective. I broke it down into four uh, components of okay. the response. And the first one is my story. Um, and, and I think that's pretty straightforward. We'd call it a testimony. Uh, in most of the time, but you know when the when the uh, blind man was uh, was healed by Jesus, uh, he he was asked by the Pharisees, uh, "How did this happen? Who did this?" and all the different questions. And finally, he was a bit frustrated and simply says, "I don't really know. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see." <laughs> and and I, in a sense, I would say that's his story. And you're not preaching at people. You're not trying to use apologetics, not giving reasons. You're simply saying to people, here is what my life, what has happened to my life as a result of my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that's my story. You know, and Don, we're just in the previous half hour, I was talking to David Wheaton about the power of language. And even the words, my story, is so much more uh, uh, winsome than can I give you my testimony? I mean, 
who doesn't right. want to who doesn't want to hear a story? Uh, that's right. And and then, and I always say to people, prepare something you could share, maybe in uh, two to three minutes, uh, and uh, ask permission when you're talking with someone. May I share with you what I've found uh, in my life, or may I share with you what Jesus has done in my life? And by asking permission, I mean, how many people are going to say, no, I don't, I'm not interested. Uh, generally, your story is, is your story. Who can argue with that? Yeah. And it seems that when you start conversations with people, they're uh, interested in uh, getting to know you, or they're interested in, in telling you their story which is another great place to get started and show that you're interested in them. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, I, I need to add that to, <laughs> to my suggestions. Uh, ask about their story, where they're coming from. That's okay. a good point. Okay. They'll start talking but, right away, probably. Sure, yeah. sure. And, and that's, that's a natural way to get started in talking about spiritual things without uh, being afraid and without offending anybody. Yeah. So, uh, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Uh, in addition to my story, today's world is what it is, often based on my worldview. That's my second component of what I call a 315 response. I need to start paying attention to the foundation, uh, what I call the lens through which. Uh, I understand reality. And uh, worldview is not something that, let's say, uh, elderly people are very familiar with. That's just not a word that's been in their vocabulary. But uh, all it is is the lens through which you see the world. And, and, and the, there's, there's ingredients that make up the lens. And that ingredient, for example, the, the core ingredient is God. If you just even start there, do we have the? Do we understand that our faith in God is a is a foundational ingredient that that uh, makes the lens through which I see the world and and determine reality? And for example, are, are we animals evolved from ape-like ancestors? Um, we are. We are. If we're not created uniquely in the image of God, and how would I know that? Well, there's a God who created Genesis chapter one one, um, and so we think the way we do because of the lens through which we see the world, and that lens is made up of certain foundational ingredients. I I, I usually identify four basic ones: God, the Bible, Jesus Christ, and creation. Uh, if if you give some attention to those four things and begin to see what does the Word of God say about those four things, you now are building a foundation, what I call, to begin thinking like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Don, there's, you know, there's always so many dots to connect. I mean, your your beliefs become your values, and your values will eventually become what your worldview is. So, you will have this lens that you can track back to your beliefs. So what you believe is pretty important. Exactly. And of course, uh, the Proverbs says some people differ the translation, but as a, um, oh, it's the passage where, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And and so our views, uh, the things that make up our thinking, oftentimes end up being our lives. It's the way we live, too. Um, so true. 
So when we think about uh, this 315, which I love, and this is something we can all get stuck in our brains pretty quickly, and because yes. we do want to be prepared to be eff- effective witnesses for the good news. So, uh, Don, you're doing us a big favor here by giving us some great tools here. Just to let people know, we're just going to start putting this in people's heads. Have your story, re- have your story ready, and then yep. be prepared to speak through that lens we call the worldview. Yes, and uh, we cannot understand man or humanity. We can't understand humanity, the universe, or history, unless we go to basic ingredients of God, Bible, Jesus Christ, and creation. We end up with a wrong understanding of humanity, the universe, and history if you don't consult those. And that explains why we are at odds with the world. They do not include those in their foundational ingredients of their lens, and so they see things very differently. They think they're right because the lens they're using looks the way they see it. But when we build a different lens, our worldview, then we understand a different conclusion than they do. And on the hostility right now to the gospel lens, the Christian worldview lens is is pretty pretty powerful, isn't it? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you can get in trouble in a hurry in the wrong places if you try to hold to a biblical, um, you know, God-centered worldview. Uh, they just don't even have a clue where you're coming from. How can you say that about whether it be the world or whether it be about humans? Uh, you know, I was just reading an article today uh, in a in a scholarly publication, and the guy was blaming God for illness, for, you know, the maladies that are found in the world, the evil that's found in the world. And you see, this worldview then is not, does not include the fall. If God created the world the way it is, then he's a bad God. Well, see, that's a faulty worldview, mm-hmm. and he, he ends up with the wrong conclusion because he fails to see that it's sin that has entered the world um, that has caused the illness and the problems. So do you think that you are going to be written off as uh, a believer faster than usual, or do you think it's always been about the same speed throughout history? I think I think now you're being written off more, but but uh, Bill, the the third component or the th- uh, that that I have included in my in the three fifteen response is my answer to that problem, and that is my reasons. Okay. And now we're into apologetics. Every Christian today has got to be able to give at least a simple response to say, "Why do you believe in God?" And uh, that's where. Faith Search International has specialized in in apologetics, giving the reasons that 1 Peter 3.15 says we should have. I have, for example, a DVD, Why I Believe in God. I have another DVD that's been done in the last two years, Why I Believe in Creation. And there I give my reasons why uh, I hold to the worldview that I do regarding God, of Jesus Christ, the Bible, and creation. And of course, our historical DVD called Discovery, that's the one that defends the reliability of the Bible, historically and so forth. And so if you add my reasons to my worldview and my story, you now are beginning to build a case that allows you to be able to make inroads into that 
re- that rejection, that objection that you're going to get from the world. You know, Don, when people uh, blame God for bad things in their life, I always wonder, and I want to say to them, if, if there was no God, would bad things still happen? <laughs> and an intellectually honest person would have to say yes, wouldn't they? That, that's a good point, because... Uh, what if there were no, if you're right, there is no God, does that give you more hope? (laughs) Does that make you feel better? Right. Uh, Probably not. Would only good things then happen if there was no God? Because... Of course not. Of course Uh, not. I don't know what they would say, but uh, in the world we live in, uh, whether they claim God is the source of it or whether God isn't the source of it, it's still there. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least a Christian worldview offers hope in yeah. the midst of that uh, evil. Yeah. Now, does the My Reasons portion of this 315, does that take the most amount of work and preparedness? Uh, yes, but the people don't have to, they, you don't have to become a genius. Uh, you know, they, they tend to think, I have to know everything. Um Bill, today, the secular humanist really prevails in our educational systems and in our government and legal system, and they have become so dominant that they don't feel they need to give a defense anymore for their position, which means they are moving more and more into a position of weakness instead of strength. See, majorities don't have to defend themselves. They just say something and the majority shake their head yes and they're okay. Minorities have to become better prepared. So as Christians realize that they are now a minority in regard to the prevailing you know, worldview in our culture, that means if you prepare with one item that is in your defense from for your position, you probably have one more than they do. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And... So, so I tell people, get one good reason for God. Get one good reason to defend the Bible's, you know, historical reliability. And get one good reason for a creation like intelligent design. And start there. And so it doesn't have to become overwhelming. Um, and, and of course, research has all of the tools to help identify what those positions would be. Mm-hmm. And Don, wouldn't you say one of the all-time best reasons is simply a life well-lived? Or, or life transformation. That's exactly. one of my arguments in my, in my DVD in Why I Believe in God, is transformed lives. It doesn't matter if you're an attorney or you are a, a child, or you're in Africa, or, or it doesn't matter what gender you are, the, the testimony, the stories of people around the world are uniform. I put my trust in Jesus Christ, and my life changed for the good. And uh, I, I, I think that uniform testimony is a powerful argument for uh, for Christianity. Mm-hmm. Don, how do I get uh, my sweaty mitts on some of these great resources you're talking about? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked. Oh, good. We, <laughs> August is Facebook International's once a year uh, sale on all of our publications. Nice. And if people go to www.facesearch.org, They'll find virtually everything like Surprised by Faith and my creation, my Believing in God DVDs are all half price. You know, I've got this chaotic sense of 
books everywhere in my house, but I can tell you exactly where my Surprise by Faith book is. I can walk right to it. Yes, yes. So people, a faith search, if people, sometimes they say, well, that face, F-A-C-E, no, it's F-A-I-T-H. Yes, uh, Search.org. Search. And there they'll find all the information about our, the materials that could help them uh, defend uh, their, their faith. Okay, now we're going to uh, take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on First Peter 3.15 and the, uh, the four... Um, the four ways in which to do four that, components, the four yeah. components, mm-hmm. my story, my worldview, my reasons, and then we're going to save the last one as a surprise when we come back. Okay. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Don Barley is my guest. Faithsearch.org um, is the website to go find out more about him and his crazy, we've gone crazy sale in August. Everything is going on sale right now. We're talking about the four components to be more effective in sharing our faith, and it's based out of 1 Peter 3.15. And we talked about my story, my worldview, my reasons, and coming up uh, last, Don, is what? My invite. Um, I want to invite you to also become a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, this is a scary one. Any 315 response seems to me should at least include an opportunity for the person that you're talking to and sharing with to consider. Uh, It's Remember, the, the verse says, but do it with, my Bible says, gentleness and reverence or respect. And uh, it, so that doesn't have to be confrontive, doesn't have to make everybody feel uncomfortable, uh, but it would be an invite. Um, and Jesus himself said it rather gently, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's gentle, and that's reverence, that's respectful. And so uh, we are told by, by the Bible to be salt and light to a lost world. And so as we share our story and we have our supporting worldview and our reasons, uh, we simply give people an opportunity to consider that they too would become a follower of Jesus Christ. So my invite. I mean, just say more about the power of the invite, because we don't do that. And I don't think maybe we do that enough is the power. Let them say no, but, but step up to the plate. You know, I, over the years of ministry, I have had people that came to me and said, would you talk to so-and-so and, uh, they're struggling or they don't believe and so forth. And I have talked with them for months or sometimes years. People tell me, and I, and, and, I meet with them one time, and we we talk, and and I use an approach similar to what First Peter three fifteen would say. And at the end of our conversation, I asked, uh, "Are you willing to make a profession of faith in Jesus and become His follower?" And to their amazement, they say yes. <laughs> and later, when they were asked after they've had a time of you know maturity and so forth, why didn't you sooner? 
And the answer they gave was, you didn't ask me. Uh, it, it, we, we, are, we would be very surprised if we've been led by the Holy Spirit to share our story and to be prepared with the worldview and reasons. Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit be, be prompting them to want what they see in us? And so just give them an opportunity. Just say, would you like to follow Jesus too? Uh, and that's that's uh, at that point, of course, you're relying on the work of the Holy Spirit all the way through. And Don, fair to say the Holy Spirit has already gone ahead of your conversation? That's right. And has prepared that person? Because that's obviously right. God's drawing them. If you're going to speak to them, if you're getting an opportunity to, to be face-to-face with them, the Holy Spirit's already doing his advanced strategic planning sure. and work. We're, we're a lot of times afraid of rejection, but gosh, we have to come to the realization that that's not a personal rejection. That's a, re, that's a, pers- a person who says, no, I don't think so. That's, um, that's regarding Jesus, and that's regarding the Christian faith. Uh, we're just the instrument of God. We're, they don't have to accept us or reject us. It was just the, it's the faith that, the, that you're really offering them. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, I want to I say before we're, we're, we run out of time, I want to make sure that people realize that they should include verse 16 in 1 Peter 3 as well. My Bible says, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, the, the first step of any 315 response is to be living our lives uh, in a way that is honoring of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in other words, if if we're a bum <laughs> and our life is in shambles, uh, we don't have a very good platform to approach anybody with. And they, they, their response would have to be, gosh, it doesn't seem to be working for you. Uh, and so we want our lives to be consistent. We want it to be God-honoring. And that's what we bring to the table when we start sharing our faith. Mm -hmm. I would love everyone to make this a a memory verse. Um, There's also another great verse, Donna, I think you would would agree is, you know, every bit as powerful in 2 Timothy 2. uh, You know, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, yes. opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Yes, yes, excellent. You know, the Old Testament says a kind word or something like that turns away wrath, mm-hmm. and I think that's in that same spirit, that as we come here, uh, we don't have to force. It is the work of the Holy Spirit is, that's going to bring conviction to them. We need to just share the truth and live it and uh, let, let God do the harder work. And we have to be not so afraid about losing any kind of personal approval because it's not about us. It's about him. Yes. And, though uh, you asked about the, the little bit more teeth in that invite. Um, when I u- use this to train people, I point out to them that uh, they should select a, a small booklet or something, maybe set up a series of verses in the Bible, 
because uh, when you give them an invitation, if they want to follow Jesus, they may not know exactly what that entails. So get a your most important uh, relationship or Billy Graham's uh, peace with God or something simple where you can say, I think this summarizes what, what I'm inviting you to. And, and, you know, there'll be a four-step or a five-step or something like that. They, they really should have one of those with them yeah. if they're going to share. That way you don't have to rely upon, well, you know, kind of fumble at that point. Uh, go ahead and just pull that out and say, let's go through this. I think that will clarify for you what I'm doing, what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Really nice talking to you, Don. It's great to have you on the show. And again, uh, the the website is faithsearch.org. Yes, that's have, correct. Faithsearch.org. There's tons of great re- resources there, um, and you can go learn about uh, Faith Search International and also uh, Surprised by Faith, the book that Don has written. How many copies of that have you sold? About 350,000. That's really a nice number. I like that number. <laughs> Well, number. thank you, Bill, for having me on. I appreciate the, the opportunity to share. Well, it's nice to hear your voice, and nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Don Byerly has been my guest. Facesearch.org is the place to go learn more about him. That wraps up our show. Uh, I've loved our time together today. I hope you have, too. And I uh, just uh, want you to know that God loves you and that he is he cares about every issue going on in your life right now. Everything that you're struggling with, uh, give it to him. Have a good night's sleep. Put your head on that pillow and just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. Can't wait to be together tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.